There's an old saying that states, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Even though there are three core areas that define autism, it manifests itself differently in each individual. Now a new study is showing that there is also a difference in the way autism manifests itself in girls and boys. These differences could have a profound effect on how autism is diagnosed and treated in girls and boys. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Paul Rakeski, your host. And with me today is Dr. Kalstub Supakar, research scientist in the Department of Psychiatry at the Stanford School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Supakar. Hi, Paul. So if you could tell us a little bit about your professional background. So as you mentioned, I'm currently a research scientist in the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford. I hold a PhD in Biological Sciences from Stanford University and an entrepreneurship degree from Stanford Business School. I've held research positions at the Mid-America Heart Institute. I was a research analyst at the Mayo Clinic before I moved to Stanford in 2004. So one of the main goals of my research is basically to investigate the atypical development of cognitive and social processing in individuals with autism and other related neurodevelopmental disorders. So you recently conducted a study on the brain differences of boys and girls with autism. Can you talk about the study design? Yeah, that's correct. So the National Institute of Health has done a phenomenal job recently in putting together this large database of information about individuals with autism. It includes data collected across the entire United States about behavior, about the imaging, genetics. And this was an amazing data set. And our group was like the first one to use it. So leveraging this national database of autism research, we first analyzed symptom severity in a large sample, almost around 130 ASD girls and around 600 ASD boys. So this is the first study of its kind ever conducted in such a large proportion. And one of the biggest factors that it has never been conducted before, because as the listeners would know, girls with autism it's a male-dominant disorder with girls often diagnosed at a ratio of 4 to 1. So to conduct any statistical study, it's very difficult to find girls. And so what this database allows us to examine is because it's collected across a large population, so it allows us to examine a very broad sample. And then once we examine that data, we also examine their structural brain imaging data under a sample, which is also obtained from the database. So that was our... It is not a conventional study design where we just collect data from a set of subjects. This was using a very new approach and leveraging something called big data to actually analyze because using the current study design is almost impossible to look at you know, males and females with autism because it's very, very difficult to recruit them. So, for example, we are conducting lab-wide studies in the past five years, and over the last five years, we only have like, you know, 11 females with autism and almost 80 males with autism. And it's almost impossible to do a statistical comparison with such small samples. So the national database really helped you in your study by letting you get from a larger pool of individuals so that you could have a statistically relevant study. Absolutely. I think without that database, I don't think so. We could have conducted the study. And, and that's one of the reasons why no one has looked at it, because it's getting data has been very, very difficult. So when you've taken all the data together, what were your findings? So the first finding was kind of a robust findings where we find, interestingly, surprisingly, a reduced levels of repetitive and restricted behavior in girls compared to boys with ASD. I think it provides the strongest evidence to date for sex differences in a core phenotype feature of childhood autism. And examining brain imaging data, we also found differences in brain 
spectrophotometry in regions which are prominent in the motor system as well as in areas that are involved in social information processing. So your study delves into brain structure of boys and girls, as you just mentioned there. Can you describe that portion of the study? So there's a lot of studies previously done in looking at the overall size of the brain in males and females, or even autism versus typically developing children. And one of the findings there is individuals with autism have a larger brain compared to typically developing children. We went to the next step, and instead of looking at the whole brain, we wanted to ask the question, are there specific differences in the brain volume in regions, specific regions of the brain? So we looked at regional differences in brain structure, particularly brain volume, a regional brain volume, a gray matter volume, and then we observed that the girls and boys with ASD show significant differences in brain structure. Notably, these differences in gray matter volume were observed in like regions which are involved in motor, as well as regions which are involved while we are interacting or socially interacting with other individuals. It's kind of interesting because the regions could be anything, but basically we're localized to, you know, two core deficits of the disorder, which is social deficits and repetitive, repetitive behavior, which is sort of a very motor deficit. So what gender-specific differences did you find, and how is it different from the brain structure difference? differences in neurotypical boys and girls? Let's first go to the second question, which is the difference between brain structure and neurotypical boys and girls. I think that area is highly controversial in terms of where to, are there any differences or not so differences. But there was a study conducted like maybe six months back, which basically looked at over 100 studies which have looked about exactly this question. And what it came to conclusion was there were Two major differences uh, consist, which were found consistently across many studies. One was typical males have a larger brain volume compared to typical females. And second was when they look at specific brain regions, they observed regions which are involved in memory, such as the hippocampus, and for emotion regulation, such as amygdala, had different brain volume in males compared to typical females. In contrast to that finding, what we observed is beyond those regions, we also find differences in regions which are involved in social information processing in boys with ASD compared to girls with ASD, which is kind of interesting. It's basically what we could speculate from this is there could be some altered developmental trajectory which causes these differences which are not observed in neurotypical um, boys and girls. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski. And I'm speaking with Dr. Kal Stubbs Supakar. We're talking about the differences in the brains of boys and girls with autism spectrum disorder. So as we mentioned earlier, 80% of individuals with autism are male. With such a large number of males being diagnosed, have females been lumped in the same perceptions and symptoms as their male counterparts? That's an excellent question. I think that was also one of the prime reasons for actually conducting this study because you know, most of the disorders is not such a big gender bias. So we really wanted to understanding some kind of a reason. So our findings suggest a potential factor that may contribute to the relatively low proportions of females with autism. So as the listeners would know, among the three core autism phenotypes, restricted and repetitive behavior are the most overt and noticeable features that flags the potential case of the disorder. Our findings raise the possibility that the girls with less prominent repetitive behavior may miss being tested for autism or get misclassified as having a social communication disorder. On the other hand, boys with more pronounced repetitive behavior may show more false positives for autism 
given that restricted behavior are not specific to children with autism and also observed in other developmental disorders. But having said that, regardless of the potential impact of on diagnosis, our findings point to a need for further research on the development of clinical instruments that are better tailored towards autism in females. Because right now, I think the, our findings suggest they are like very much tailored to individuals, males with the disorder. Yes, your studies definitely brought to light that there is a large group of girls that could be on the spectrum that haven't been identified yet because of the brain differences in development. With the information from the study, how do you think it will affect clinicians in the future? One possibility is in the future, we might have clinical instruments which are specifically tailored towards autism and females. So instead of using one same instrument for males and females, you could, what the study findings suggest, one of the core deficits is sort of, you know, it's less severe in females with autism. So you might have to recalibrate because these are highly subjective measures and there are cutoffs in each instrument. And so if the cutoff is very high, on an average, if the females have very few deficits, then you might miss that disorder. So in future, you might have, you know, if a male comes in for evaluation, he might get a different instrument. And if a girl comes in the clinic, he might get a different evaluation, which is quite a possibility. So is there anything we haven't covered yet that, that you think would be important for our listeners to know? The study unequivocally suggests there are differences in the neurobiology as well as the phenotypical representation of the disorder in females compared to males with the disorder, which I think showing such a large data set, I think individuals as the practitioners have to basically take a note of it and then conduct much more larger studies in a clinical setting to actually examine and have some case studies to look at it uh, in terms of different diagnostic instruments or how to track the particular disorder. So thank you, Dr. Supercar, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Paul, for having me. My thanks again to my guest, Dr. Kalstov Supercar, research scientist in the Department of Psychiatry at the Stanford School of Medicine. We've been discussing autism spectrum disorder. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rakuski, and thank you for listening.